Hey, unfuckers, and welcome to Show Notes for episode 65. Fuck you, Prager you. I'm your host and guide in this unfucking journey, Max, and I'm accompanied virtually today, as always, by the great and powerful 99. The nation is, of course, still reeling from the spate of radical decisions handed down from on high by the most conservative Supreme Court, certainly in my lifetime. And I'd have to consult with court historians or unfuckers out there to identify a time when this court was this blatantly ideological either way. But here we are. And of course, we're coming off yet another mass shooting, this time in the suburbs of Chicago, by another young white male armed with a high-powered weapon. You know, in a prior life, I worked in hospitality for a number of years, so holidays were just work days. So these days, I prefer to sit quietly on the sidelines, as was the case for the July 4th holiday weekend. So I sat it out, just kind of minding the whereabouts of my children, mostly hanging with my dogs during the fireworks and looking at the shit show that is America continuing to unfold, even with the horrible news over the weekend. So not much of a break from reality, sadly, uh, and didn't really feel like partying or partaking in any of the revelry uh, with the red, white, and blue. So how about you, 99? Did you partake in any of the festivities, perhaps gazing upon the star-spangled wonderfulness from your city rooftop? Yeah, I mean, I can't say I had an America party, but I did watch the fireworks, even though I don't agree with them because they're sad for all the dogs. Um, But I spent the day kind of reading and relaxing outside of my roof, which I had mostly to myself until nightfall. That was great. And you took in a concert. Surprise, surprise. Yes, that was that wasn't on the 4th of July. No, that was uh, what day did you see? Friday. Friday? Yeah. Tell the unfuckers who you saw. (laughs) I went to see The Chicks, as in formerly The Dixie Chicks, name changed uh, due to problematic history. And it was amazing. They are just feminist heroes, and they they just get it. And they... I'm not, like, a huge country fan, but that's what country should be. Respecting the country and what it should be, not, Yeah, but they disrespected George W. Bush. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. How can you still root for them? (laughs) How can you give them your money? I would gladly give them all of my money. (laughs) So unpatriotic of you. Good. (laughs) I saw the Elvis movie. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. I I am a, a huge Elvis fan. I have been my whole life. And I came by that honestly from my old man. So we once again as this is becoming kind of our new thing, as he, you know, tries to heal and in his journey, we're, we went to the movies. And it's the second time we did it. We we went to see Top Gun together, Top Gun Maverick. And then we went to see the Elvis movie. And even though it's not a great movie, I can tell you this. This boy, whoever this boy is that plays Elvis, is Elvis. I've watched Elvis my entire life. I even went to see the hologram special at Radio City from his 70s shows. And this kid is Elvis. He just embodies everything about him. And I know all the problematic history, which they actually address in the movie, of appropriating black culture and black music, which I think was um, done to the degree that they could they could probably you know, get away with it without really casting him in a in a hugely negative light. 
but just the performance itself was was unbelievable. My dad saw Elvis live, so it was kind of cool for him too. So we had a little bonding over the weekend watching watching the King. Took my little one with me. She has all sorts of questions. She's become an Elvis fan now too. So getting her into some classic music. It's all good. It's all good in the hood. Did she like the movie? She loved the movie because she loves this. What's his name? Austin Butler. She loves Austin Butler because when she was really little, Aliens in the Attic was one of her favorite movies. I've never heard of that. I think he was with Vanessa Hudgens for a long time. And then they broke up sadly. And she's a person in the world? Yeah. Okay. Of high school musical fame. Oh, yeah. My kids never got into high school musical. Hmm, That's surprising. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And especially given the timing, that would have been right up their alley. I mean, maybe they did, but it wasn't one of the ones that we did together. Well, the first one came out in 2006, so I think they would have been too young when it first hit. Yes. Yes, that is true. Is that Zac Efron? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. They like him a whole lot. Who doesn't? Really? I, I don't hate on Zac Efron. He's, he's I think he's funny. So handsome. <laughs> he's a good looking boy. Yeah, mm. Stop calling people boys. Well, you see, they're, they're all like little boys. They're all just young actors. They're all like in their mid 30s. What? Yeah. Huh. I guarantee Zac Efron is at least 33. All right, I'll call him a young man then. <laughs> so you have something in our notes before we get going about inclusive language. I do. So this is something. I've been ruminating over in my head for a little bit, and the book I read yesterday, and I almost got through it, which was great, because it's just like uninterrupted reading, was called Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally, by Emily. I meant to look up how to say her name. It, my brain wants it to be Landau, but there's no N. So Landau? I don't know. <laughs> so, I'll give it to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... Emily is a person with a disability or a disabled person as she prefers identity first language. There's differences between person first and identity first, which is like, you want to be called a disabled person or a person with a disability, whatever. So, you know, the book goes through different inclusive language practices, among many other things. And one of them is using the word insane as a descriptor because typically it has connotations of people with mental illness. And we actually got an email about it after I told you to stop saying blind hiring. Someone emailed him and was like, okay, well, if you're going to be inclusive, maybe you should change the name of your insane tier. And at the time, I recognized what they were saying. And I was like, I know I need to think about that. But I was sort of giving it a pass because I was like, well, <laughs> I am clinically diagnosed with depression and anxiety, so it gives me the power to use that word because it doesn't bother me. So that's where I was kind of like coming from. But then I was reading this book and it was talking about, well, just because you might want to reclaim a word, like a lot of people in the disability community have reclaimed the word cripple and they call themselves crips, but it would never be appropriate for us to call someone with a disability a cripple. So it's the same with any other, you know, reclaiming of words. So I can reclaim insane and call myself insane, but is it fair that we use it so openly in our show with a descriptor? Maybe maybe it's deterring someone from signing up. So I know, I know some people get eye-rolly around language when it's something like this, but if it's one person that feels more included and more seen because of using inclusive language, then I think that's important. So... 
doesn't hurt us. Yeah, I was toying in my head different names for the tiers, so I figured we'd let the unfuckers, especially the now insane level members, decide maybe what they would want to be called. So I was thinking of like unfucking evangelists or unfucking devoted, something like that. Does anything okay. immediately come to mind for you? Preposterous. Okay. Because I use it a lot. <laughs> That'd be that's good. Unfucking preposterous members. So it's a little bit of a mouthful, <laughs> but we can we can ruminate. So if any any members, but especially people of that tier who subscribe. How about ludicrous? Since we use the Spaceballs ludicrous speed clip, I'd have to look in to see if there is any because with the synonyms like insane, crazy, they all sort of derive from the same place with you know of being harmful language i don't i can't imagine ludicrous would but if it if it doesn't i think that's fun okay yeah so should we put those out in a survey yeah or i'll just let let them fuckers tweet at us okay. i think surveys sometimes people avoid them you know what i mean sure. easier to just ask for feedback i like it Unfuckers, i decided to ask max on air <laughs> so he, he couldn't tell me that I couldn't rename it. <laughs> is that sneaky? I'm okay with that. <laughs> Language is your purview. Mm -hmm. It's totally fine. What unfuckers don't see is how often I'm corrected midstream during our show. That's not true. I wait till the end of your paragraphs. But I mean, during the show itself, like, are there better ways that we can say this? And... It's always the right choice. Even if I and I, I roll a lot in the studio, and I gnash my teeth, and I and I grit, and I and I mumble the ninety-nine stupid language. But it always comes out better because because, like you say, like even if it's just one person that feels more comfortable with the language that we're using, despite the fact that the show is called "Unfucking the Republic" and we use naughty language throughout. Cursing isn't offensive in the same way. If you're offended by right. curses, it's more of a morality thing, and like, but it's not offending your character. Right, and, and I'm only pointing it out because it it to some people it might be like, so yeah, you're the language police all of a sudden with a show like "Unfucking the Republic," but it it it's it is a different issue. Comes yeah. from a different place. And I know that, so when Max is in his recording headspace, he's not himself. He's like the Snickers commercial. So I know he might be mad at me in the, in the moment, and I have to just roll my eyes back at him and deal with it. But I know I'm right. <laughs> You're so. totally right. Mm -hmm. You're totally right. In fact, it's become a little bit of an issue even in my home that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Max isn't a whole lot of fun. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Max is is uh, a joy to be around, but uh, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is getting to be uh, getting to be a little tense. But how can it not be with the subject matter that we tackle and the intensity of each episode? One of the comments that we have here, I think, pretty soon up in in the notes here, is like, "Can you keep this up?" And we've gotten those comments before, and the answer is yeah, because the world keeps delivering us big bags of flaming poop on our doorstep, so we can keep it up as long as the world can keep shitting on everybody. I suppose. But yeah, it is it is pretty intense. But I always appreciate the corrections and the challenge to do better, even if I even if angry Max in the moment doesn't right. appreciate. But that's it. what they said at the time, and I'm like, well, it's not that time anymore, Grandpa. Mm -hmm. If you're reading from a quote, it's fine as long as you exclaim, "This is a quote. The language is offensive." But if you're if you're just 
You know, can spoil for a fight, but you're not it. getting one. You can keep spoiling for a fight, but I'm you're not, not going to get fight. one. I'm just I agree to with you. explain how right I am and how I'm the smartest girl in the whole wide world. Yes, you are. Thank you. Still agreeing with you. That's beautiful. So with that, do you want to get into show notes? Uh, I guess. Great and powerful 99? Yeah, I thought this was just my time to tell people how good I am. Is it not? Uh, if you're not done, then, then carry on. <laughs> no, I, th- I think I'm good for now. Okay, we right. can come back to it. Thank you. Well, let's begin with some emails. Stephen J. commenting on the Prager University show that we just did. Prager University's ads on YouTube are annoying and way too common. To me, the most annoying thing about this organization is that they can get away with calling themselves a university. It gives them an air of legitimacy that they do not deserve. Stephen J., I completely agree. I think the most stunning part of, of what we came across was how they function as a nonprofit and so effectively as a nonprofit. I mean, not just not just the fact that they they file that way and so it's not a it's not a for-profit corporation like you might see some of the other so-called universities that are that are for-profit, but something passing themselves off as a university that is nonprofit and able to take in such enormous sums of money that are that's tax deductible to the funders of of the program. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the comments here saying like where are the left-wing billionaires to be funding initiatives that will that will counteract Prager which we're going to talk about as well, but um yeah, the 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 most eye-opening part to me was going through the 990s, seeing the growth of it and the explosive growth post Trump. And we didn't make this point during the show itself or or in post-show musings, but it's almost like the same track as the NRA and you know how people just rush every time a Democrat gets into office people rush to buy more guns so if you look at actual gun and ammunition purchases it declines during a Republican administration it always increases during a Democratic administration because people are so worried that they're quote coming for the guns so in a similar function here as soon as Trump leaves office they they doubled down. I mean, they went from what was it, 34 to $56 million in revenue so that they're sitting on $61 million in cash. I mean, just these are really stunning numbers. And it's some, you know, it, it lets you know why the left hasn't really caught up to it because they're just so fucking organized and insane that donors, big money donors, they're and organized in what? Mm. <laughs> you keep going. Just... They're so fucking preposterous. <laughs> That uh, they're that they're they're organized at every single level. So they've got small dollar donors right up to the big donors like the Wilkes brothers that are that are still funding them. So anyway, what else did we have? So Brian B said, hello, everyone. Love the show. This last episode on PragerU, which my mom thinks is great, would be improved by dissecting a particular episode showing its biases and inaccuracies. I think by episode they mean a video, which I think is a cool idea maybe for like a quickie or a topical cream if something strong comes up just being like, you know, there's one that's like, sexualizing children. <laughs> I went through some of them to pull for the the episode art and seeing the titles was, it was sick. <laughs> Very sick. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it, it would actually be a good thought experiment to go through just like it would be on a on a Tucker show or, you know, one of the, the conservative shows like OAN or whatever it is, or AON, OAN, I keep mispronouncing that. I think I it's OAN. It's OAN. I believe so. I was a big fan of the OA on Netflix, so I think that's why <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm confused and I don't want to conflate the two. 
Anyway, so I think it would be a lot of fun to do that, to actually dissect a full episode in our pantheon of uh, new episodes that we have releasing. I'm not sure that we're going to get around to it, but Brian B., I think it's a it's a great suggestion. Cam L. said, just listen to the PragerU episode, and there's a relatively new opposition to it called the Gravel Institute, named for Mike Gravel. I'm not sure the funding sources are scale at this stage, but check it out. I'd love your thoughts on this as part of the solution to combating the right-wing pipeline on YouTube. This was echoed, by the way, by Stephen D. and Craig H., who also suggested that we check out the Gravel Institute. So I actually did spend some time uh, over the weekend on their YouTube. It's okay. It's definitely well-intended. It's The production value is certainly there. The writing is a little flat. They've got some of the usual suspects in there as well. So I watched a video from Rick Wolf, for example. I'm not exactly sure that it's the... It's the perfect antidote just yet, but it certainly has a great head start. So they've got from the tens to the hundreds of thousands on a, on a couple of their views. It's nowhere near the juggernaut, obviously, that Prager is. And the funding doesn't seem to be as robust just from the presentation of some of the videos, the site itself. I mean, Prager is just such a phenomenal fucking website and has just such an incredible presence on YouTube. And obviously they've amplified the shit out of it with all their promotion on, on Facebook. What's interesting to me is that putting that whole episode together, looking at as many Prager videos as I did doing the episode, I wasn't served a single Gravel Institute episode. And that's how this works, by the way, is you actually, you get in front of the people that are watching those other videos to try and you know, provide some counterbalance to it. And that's what Prager does. So if you're watching a liberal, the reason that a third of the population theoretically has seen a Prager video is because they're getting in front of so many different eyeballs. And they're also trying to steal eyeballs from the liberal media as well. So that to me is, is just has to be a function of, of funding and the fact that they don't have the same type of resources as a Prager U does. But it's definitely an incredible start. And uh, I, obviously, I wish them luck. And anybody that that hasn't checked them out, please do go and uh, check it out. It's gravelinstitute.org, but you can just look up Gravel Institute videos on YouTube and be served their videos and, and check out their channel. Now, Patrick S. in some general feedback here from our site said, Hello from America's asshole, the Funshine State. I'm a 33-year-old cis white male, and though I gather I'm a good deal younger than Max, I also believe myself to be a basic white guy. I come from a family that has spent our existence below the poverty line in one of the poorest counties in Florida. Despite the slow building migraine from seeing beyond the veil a little too much, the value your show has given me is incalculable. I started listening last November, and I'm a wholly proud unfucker. To Max, hey, that's me. Informer extraordinaire, succinct might not be your word, but you're not in the soundbite business. Your well-reasoned research positions and points are exactly what I needed. The light you shine on native issues is, in my opinion, your most righteous and respectable cause. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. To the omnipotent and all-powerful 99, you've opened my eyes to many issues that I simply don't have an opinion on either way. Also, your sass and wit truly do make you the favorite of the show. Agreed. There isn't enough praise the world over for the work you do on and off mic. Isn't this, isn't this lovely? I know this is a little self-indulgent, but this is awesome. I know. When I read this, I, I teared up. Yeah, it's pretty pretty incredible. And of course, to many of the faces, sound design maestro. 
Your untraceable fingerprints are all over every episode, from the small sound bites to just the raw effort and hours spent editing. You're an unrivaled talent. Also agreed. So you're actually wielding truth relative to power. I'm proud to be part of this community. We'll push back against these regressionary fuckheads. Truth and right will eventually win the day. Thank you for rekindling my hope. I want to find a way to get involved and push progressive ideals, despite the odds in this state. Florida is going to be an interesting wonderland of right-wing nonsense over the next uh, few years. It's been kind of a bastion of a lot of these ideas so far. The Supreme Court is going to clear the way for the right-wing administration there to do a lot of different things. What will be interesting to see is how far DeSantis continues to push the envelope as he prepares for his national bid on the national stage. There's some polling data that suggests that the gun issue and the abortion issue has actually begun to take root and favor the Democrats right now in some general polling. We'll see if that can be sticky enough coming into the midterms themselves. You know, my my feeling on it is, as we went over in the last show, is that if gas prices stay this high and inflation is beyond transitory and stays sort of intractable in the economy and it doesn't look like there's any end in sight, it's very difficult for me to presume that the Democrats will make any sort of headway with those type of headwinds. Having said that, people are pretty fucking pissed right now and for good reason. And DeSantis, I think, is beginning to be seen as the new tip of the right wing spear. And he's got it. I mean, and 99, this will drive you crazy. But even Joe Rogan was out there uh, last week saying that he thinks DeSantis is the guy for the next administration to lead the country. So you're already starting to see seeds of this be planted in the craziest of ways and in the craziest of places that, you know, that that stuff, that stuff matters and that stuff really begins to stick. And there are I know enough people in my personal life that see his efforts with the so-called do not say gay bill as being productive because they don't think that sex education in general should be taught at those eight at those ages. And Fox News is working overtime to try and kind of assuage and mitigate the effects of, of laws like that. So I think this is their guy. I think he's gaining ground and and Florida is going to be the proving ground for a lot of this. They've already completely misinterpreted how Florida responded to COVID. I think it was the third most deaths in the country. Right. But they they passed it off like they did the best. To be fair, they have the most old people. <laughs> they do. They do. And of course, New York leading the way. We actually just deliberately killed our old yeah, people. Thank you, Cuomo. In the very beginning. Yeah. We love you. Black and white and brown and Asian and short and tall and gay. I and sometimes short. slip and say ciao, Bella. Ciao, Bella. Yeah. So, uh, Patrick, your words, even though they were a little self-indulgent to read them out, I just wanted to say thank you for saying it because uh, it it really it really touched us. So. Uh, good day down there in America's asshole, and we'll be rooting for you and hoping that your guy doesn't prevail. Why do we don't we need a name for him? I was thinking of it like DeSantis, but there's no like plan words. Deshitis. <laughs> it's not really um doesn't flow. How about Ashaddis? <laughs> Ron Ashaddis. I don't know that it. I I think it needs to start with a D. Ron DeFuckstick. That's, I like that. Thank you. Del fuck stick. Yeah. D-A. 
Okay. Florida governor Ron DeFuckstick. I think that's good. I think that that's clear enough because ass had us like could be someone else, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, Gary G said we could use a lesson on reason and logic. We listen to arguments all the time without understanding how to spot the logical flaws and fallacies that determine whether an argument is sound or true. I would like to hear you sample Hannity and Tucker, take them apart piece by piece. So Gary echoing Ben's sentiments there. I think logic, that could be a good way to approach it where it is more encompassing than just specifically doing like a Prager, but we can have kind of a philosophical discussion. I'm sure you'd enjoy that. It'd be a lot of head scratching research, but <laughs> that's why you're paid the big bucks. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because I, I think we did it a little bit in the immigration episode because Tucker has been so so out in the forefront of painting immigration as a Democrat issue. He's been spreading the most falsehoods, the most lies. I mean, a lot of what we debunked in that particular episode were his talking points. Was it the immigration or was it the quickie? We did Fox in the outhouse and then we did a full immigration. So just want to point on fuckers. I think it was the quickie. It, the, so the quickie actually seeded. We we seeded the immigration episode in that quickie. Right. And then we played a lot more of, of Tucker's arguments with the great replacement theory in the full immigration episode. Okay. And I think that was one of the more effective episodes. It's actually one of the more downloaded episodes that we have as well. So I think this might be a good tactic for us going forward is to take a, a really misunderstood argument that's that's spouted often by the right and just try to just take it apart piece by piece using their words, then applying the facts to it, almost like a like a, you know, a full on fact checking episode to try and illustrate how good they are at their job of spreading disinformation that sounds like they are just telling the truth. What if we introduced it as a feature, maybe alternating with a skit? I mean, not that we've been doing them, but if we had a, uh, a mid episode kind of like five minute where we take an argument or a talking point and you can make it kind of funny, but also pithy. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's good because especially Tucker, because he does these diatribes and he'll he'll do like it. It have to be longer than five minutes, though, I feel uh, just because like he'll he'll get 20 minutes top of his show to just go off on a topic. It's it's really astounding the amount of airtime that they give him to just riff. It's incredible. I mean, it's not riffing. It's all very scripted, obviously, but he makes it, it sound like riffing because he's dumb. Yeah, he's smart, stupid. He's not yeah. dumb. When I was at um, the festival a couple weekends ago, we were, you know, we got into some political conversation. Every Everyone, thankfully, is either doesn't care enough or is liberal. But I, I got a good um, jab in at Tucker and I did a, a nice impression of him and it got all the laughs. And I said, that's my job. All right, <laughs> I'm <all right>. learning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we talked about this when we were talking about the dead, that I know a bunch of conservative deadheads really interesting to me yeah i don't know what it is i think because when you look at like a prototypical bro who is on the right and the left they look exactly the same and i'm not talking about like the real spun out hippies like those people you know they're not they're either i don't know what they're doing but the the normal just a normal guy you see them on the street you wouldn't know otherwise they look the same they act the same i, I don't know what it is but you'd think that the culture would turn them off, but I guess they just, they don't care. They feel entitled to it. But yeah, I was, we were talking about that and I was saying how I read an article. I think I talked about on the show once too, like 
Tucker talking about how much he loved the dead and his favorite new jam bands. And like for, for a moment, I was very human. Like he humanized himself to me and I was like, oh, he's just a person. And I was like, whoa, fuck this. <laughs> just right. because we have this shared interest that's so important to me. But like Jerry would fucking hate him so much rolling over in his goddamn grave that Tucker is talking about him. Because this is the opposite. Like, the Grateful Dead democratized their music. They made it available to everybody everywhere. And he's just the opposite. All of his ideals are the opposite. So, But did Jerry tan his nuts? Um, maybe know in, that? Maybe in the later days. Right. Yeah. Well, moving on to Matt G. Matt Gates. Could it be? I think it is. Let, let's see. Uh, as an anxious, astonished observer of your dreadful, fantastical country, <laughs> I can't believe it's fully descended into mayhem. Nah, it's not him. Can't believe it hasn't fully descended. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'd love for you to do a show about American political violence and its salience now. Is that what rebellion is? Is there really an alternative? Yeah, so one of my closing quips at the end of the episode was resistance isn't enough anymore, obviously. You had, what was it, millions of vagina hats taken to the street when Trump was elected, and we still wound up with this SCOTUS and this problem. And rebellion is, rebellion is nigh. I really feel like we're, we're heading for, for something indescribable. And, and I don't know what form it's going to take. I mean, but you just you have this feeling that that the country is is a tinderbox in a, in a different way. And, I, you know, so one of the things that I've uh, I've always, always said when discussing politics, when when people say everything is so fucked, there's no way back. We're screwed is, you know, we imagine being in that moment in the 1960s. I've said this. I've said this so many times. I probably said it on this show. That moment in the 60s when you lose Martin Luther King and then you lose Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy and then Malcolm X and Gandhi and all of these world leaders theoretically for peace, whether they were in practice or not, but all of these people that were held out as as being other, as being ascendant in the, in, in the movement towards peace and progress and breaking free of the, the shackles of conformity and the, the, the white male patriarchy that was the, the mid to late 60s, all of that agitation that spilled over into the, the just cacophonous 70s that were, that were raw and it, was, and it was dirty and it was ugly and it felt like everybody was corrupt. I mean, that's what, that's what gave us Jimmy Carter is people looking for something just a little more wholesome for lack of a better word, like, oh my gosh, we just need to return to something, some somebody with values, even if it's Christian values, at least he's not going to force them down my throat, but something, anything to return us. I imagine in those moments, it must have felt like the world was coming to an end all the time, right? Violence erupting in the streets. And if you were part of that white male patriarchy, you probably felt like the world was coming to an end. And likewise, if you were on the left and agitating against things like conscription in the Vietnam War and the patriarchy itself, you probably thought that the world was coming to an end every time one of your leaders was gunned down. It just seems and feels to me like that must have felt like the most 
ungovernable, unwieldy time in America. And I don't feel like it is that way now, but I feel like it's even more dangerous now because because of the, I guess, just this this malaise and intransigence that that paralyzes us all. Like the system feels so much bigger and more powerful, like truly like the empire struck back and now has control of so many different parts of the world that it feels like that rebellion, that return of the Jedi rebellion is just out of reach. And yet I do also feel like it's a tinderbox and you don't know what that moment's going to be and you can never predict what that moment's going to be. And we've had some scary shit. We've had that you know, that George Floyd moment where the whole fucking world stopped and was like, what are we doing? And even still, we kind of repaired after that and not a lot changed. And and they, they've been able to stuff a lot of that back into the into the box. You had the Occupy moment. That was big and it was palpable, you know, for me because I was there and we were in New York and we were covering it and we were down at the protest and it felt like, holy shit, we're going to rip New York apart at the fucking seams. This is exciting. Shit's going to change. And then Obama came and just gave everybody a sedative, just sort of like lulled everybody back into this liberal conformity that didn't, that just still shifted us to the right. So I don't know what that breaking point looks like or what it's going to feel like or what rebellion looks like. And I didn't mean that to be a throwaway line. It's just, it. it's to me... It's no longer resistance. Like resistance is futile. There has to be some sort of rebellion and I don't know the shape that it has to take. I don't know what it looks like. Imagine how tired Bernie is. Oh my goodness. He lived through everything you talked about and now, and he's still fucking fighting. Yeah. And may announce that he's running. I mean, it's just, it's astonishing. We have an old white guy right now. What does it matter if he's older? At least he's more in the moment <laughs> to put it kindly he sure is he sure is i'd rather him than a lot of other people yeah of course aoc for president she's still not old enough she's not <laughs> she's not yeah anyway what does jim m have to say so i heard max mention that you're considering healthcare as a subject to tackle one proposal i would suggest is that you explain how healthcare professionals are trained how that is paid for, and how they disperse across the country to provide care. Or don't, as we have pockets of the third world within a society that is wealthy by measurements of national averages. Please be sure to cover how an LBJ Great Society program, community health centers, funds care that is invisible to those who have employer-funded health care insurance. And Jim suggested some books. So as always, these will be linked in show notes. Paul Starr's The Social Transformation of American Medicine, Five Patients by Michael Crichton, <laughs> yes, that Michael Crichton, and In Sickness and in Wealth, American Hospitals in the 20th Century by Rosemary Stevens. Good stuff. Yeah, I have a few resources already, book resources, and I have just a tome of resources that unfuckers have sent in over the last year or so since we teased that uh, there'll be a healthcare episode. And I think this is a really good approach to it. So, Jim, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Now, Ziggy said, I live in North Carolina. Tim Moore, the Speaker of the State House, bringing the case for the independent state legislature theory before the Supreme Court is what Ziggy wants to talk about. He says, if upheld, this decision would enable state legislatures to conduct federal elections without any oversight from the state governments themselves. 
Let's just hang on that for one second. Good Lord. Yeah, that is that is a huge fear. So I don't know anything about this or when it would appear in front of the court, but obviously that that is a tremendous danger if that uh, if that really holds true. Anyway, Ziggy went on and said, I digress. The main reason I wanted to write in is to throw a little shade at my fellow North Carolina progressives. The turnout for the midterm primaries was less than 20%. Even where I live in Asheville, the city that prides itself in being both politically engaged and righteously progressive, we've been throwing our arms out of socket, patting ourselves on the back for the record-setting turnout of 17% in May. Love all you on fuckers, but we can do better. By the way, y'all keep going on about ketchup and mustard. We keep sleeping on Korean chili. Chris? The fuck is that? I must have dropped a letter. Let's see. Talk about the other thing while I find it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Talk about the uh, the thing that'll end democracy yeah. while I find the Korean chili. Yeah, yeah. The important things. Yes, of course. So turnout is going to be vital. And turnout in the primaries is where this happens and we've blown a lot of the opportunities and we're continuing to blow a lot of these opportunities. I was able to vote for the most progressive person on my ballot for governor in New York State, Jumani Williams, who came in second in the primary, was defeated by a pretty wide margin by Governor Hochul, who will probably go on to win against a conservative asshole named Lee Zeldin who's just one of the worst. He's in the first congressional district out on, on the east end of Long Island, and he's just, he's a total MAGA fuckhead. Just such a dick. So he's going to line up against Hochul, so no winners there. But, you know, at least Jumani had a good showing. He beat out the third-place candidate who was just one of these mealy-mouthed, blue-dog, fuck-nugget, uh, what do you call the... New Democrat, blue dog, Josh Gottheimer, wing of the asshole part, whatever. He's just just the worst. So he did better than him, thankfully, but still well short of what we needed to uh, to have the turnout for New York. Once again, showing that New York, as blue as we pretend to be, is just is just so purple. It's just so fucking purple. We're always behind in any progressive issues. I mean, they they came after AOC. They primaried AOC, and thankfully she was obviously victorious in her in her primary. But they just they cannot stand progressives in this state, and the whole Democratic establishment lines up against any progressives as hard and as often as they possibly can. It's just so fucking stupid. Anyway, so yeah, turnout is massively important, and the thing is, in primaries, now take the the gubernatorial primary out of the mix for a second. When it gets into these congressional primaries, or even if it's for your state legislature. Every single vote fucking counts. So yes, on fuckers, we have to come out in droves when it comes to primary season. That's where we win. That's where we catch them sleeping. And that's where, you know, that's where the, the real battlegrounds need to happen. So thanks for pointing that out. Even in North Carolina and Asheville, progressives need to do better. Now, what's the, what say you on chili? Korean chili crisp sauce crisp sauce yeah, i think that was i'm i'm blaming that one on you i think you deleted it me <laughs> i think so why are you blaming me your old your old eyes somehow can i is I, it in there i don't know but it's in there now but that sounds interesting i think you could probably make that yourself right by like making chili infused oil and adding whatever i don't know i suppose 
I have the giggles because I'm just laughing at the word gubernatorial. Because <laughs> my goober, and I was like, wow, emphasis on goober. So my brain, my <laughs> 50 year old brain said, <laughs> now I'm like sitting laughing to myself quietly. Now I'm like crying. So I mean, it's stupid. It just made you laugh. <laughs> Why is it such a dumb word? I don't know. Imagine if it was like present gubernatorial. <laughs> we would just be like, what? The probinatorial? Yeah. Couldn't they just said governatorial? That makes more sense. Uh, I don't know where it comes from. Me either. Uh, okay. Well, you know, anyway. I'm keeping us young um, or old with my, my dad jokes. So Jennifer G said, I'd like to request that you use proper unfucked language Please do not use marketing propaganda terminology of the right when it comes to abortion. And so this is, you know, very apt timing. And Jennifer shared a guide from the American Collegiate Obstetrician and Gynecologists. So ACOG. And there are some really interesting things on here, which I think make great clarifications, like don't call it the heartbeat bill call it gestational age bans or don't call it a fetal heartbeat call it embryonic cardiac activity before eight weeks of gestation and fetal cardiac activity after eight weeks don't call it baby or unborn child through eight weeks after last menstrual period it's embryo after that point until delivery it's fetus so i'll share this guide i think this is really important i'm sure i'm sure we're going to end up doing something oh here's one womb say uterus so all Mm. of these words that all and phrases that Go it, go out of their way to like draw the line of it being a baby and alive versus just being a literal clump of cells, which it is scientifically. So thank you for that, Jennifer. We will definitely take this into consideration. And I'm surprised not to see pro-life on here because I know that's that's the biggest movement right now. It's like you're not pro-life, <laughs> you're anti-abortion. You don't care about life. <laughs> Yeah, and even just using, I think somebody called us out last week, or didn't call us out, just said, please make sure you're using the word abortion and not just referring to it generally as reproductive rights and all that. Don't try to minimize or, or you know, sort of water down the issue. It, it's abortion. That's what we're protecting here. And the rights and all the things that surround it is is what we're fighting on the measures of. But just call it what it is and don't let them change the language around the issue. So... This is a really great guide, by the way. This is good stuff. Now, Jen S. said, Hey, Max, Manny, and the amazing 99, seriously 99, I fangirl over you. Take a look at this post from Condensen's page. We got him. David Torres is now our candidate for Congressional District 5. He beat out Michael. And uh, looks like it's Michael Colombe. Please give him a shout out like y'all did with Jessica Cisneros. We need all the help we can get here in Colorado. For this next campaign, he's going up against a long-term Republican with a war chest of money behind him. And that is true. So I did look up the race. I will tell you that David Torres is not 100%. And and Jen S. is not saying that he's 100% progressive in exactly what we need. On most issues, if you look at his platform, he's right there. On things like universal health care, he kind of, again, assuages his language and says... That's ultimately where we need to get to, but I'm here for the battle to get there, including, you know, just trying to make care as as accessible as possible on the way to universal health care. Uh, he is a combat veteran, so he talks a lot about uh, veterans' rights and talks about the military. 
progressives, don't get turned off by that type of language. We're here to support our troops as well. The way that we support our troops is to make sure that we don't send them into fucked up war. That's the way you support your troops. But don't be scared when somebody talks about having a military background or coming up in a military family. That's something that I feel that progressives have, you know, over time taken that language out of their lexicon and just said, you know, all things military are bad. So I, I, I can't get out of my way to see it. Don't don't. That's a trap. Don't don't uh, don't fall for that. So David Torres, if Jen S says David Torres is the guy and I can tell you this much, even if David Torres isn't 100 percent the guy in Colorado, I did look up Doug Lamborn. The dude he's running against, and he is a career Republican. As a matter of fact, here's all the things that Doug voted for, even in the most recent Congress. So he voted against the American Rescue Plan. Uh, he voted against the For the People Act. He voted against the Dream and Promise Act. He voted against the Equality Act. He voted against the Infrastructure Bill. He voted against the Safe Banking Act. He voted against Build Back Better. He voted against Women's Health Protection Act. He voted against impeaching Donald John Trump and voted against the budget. So the only thing he voted for on this list most recently is the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act and the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2022, of course. Because that's what they do. So you're talking about a career Republican and just goes down the line votes in complete lockstep with Donald J. Trump and votes against anything and everything that the Democrats ever put up. So he's just a McConnell baby. Let's get him out of office. That is enough for me to say that David Torres is our guy. Jen S., thanks for sending that in. Appreciate it. Now over to Daniel C. 99, what do we got? Daniel said, I started listening to the podcast after you had the American Prestige guys on, and it was a fast love. The Princess Bride skit had me immediately. Honestly, the tone, take, and knowledge, sorry, no triple alliteration of the show are phenomenal. Always nice to hear from other NYC question mark natives. Makes me think we could have cross paths randomly at some point. In addition to reaching out with my appreciation, I wanted to know if you have any plans to release any episodes concerning the Balkans or have any experts on to talk about the area. I know Balkan-U.S. relations aren't really important in the geopolitical grand scheme of things, but I have always had an interest in the area since my family is ethnically Albanian from Montenegro. Very cool. Have had and have no plans to talk about the Balkans. Such an interesting, interesting topic, though. And throughout history, such an interesting part of the world. And it's one of those things where I use the Balkanization of things just generally in, in, in my language for, for so long and I, that I was like, wait, I, I wonder if I can even remember all of the countries that are considered the Balkans. And I knew the kind of the core countries of Albania and Macedonia Serbia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, but then there's a number of other ones that are that are considered just on the fringes of the Balkans, but that I didn't even realize were considered part of Balkan territory, like even Greece. So at some point, I imagine we'll come across it again, foreign policy, not really our thing. So that could even be the subject of a phone a friend. Apart from the fact, Daniel, that you have a connection there, uh, ethnically, historically in, in your family, I'm curious as to what lane and what avenue you think that we would do a good job pursuing there. So I'll throw it back to you. I uh, have a conversation here about the Balkans. Would love to understand more about how you think we could do a good job. Now, Kevin G said, first, occupying the DNC is useless as tits on a bull. 
They are no help to the left, or more accurately, what's left of the left. They roll over and give the right wing virtually anything they want. The GOP wanted unfit, unqualified judges. Yep, the DNC was more than happy to install them. Tax cuts for the rich, the DNC only asked how much. They are not now, nor will they ever be. The party that fights for the people and the workers occupying them will only result in more feckless, ineffective, milquetoast leaders like Chuck Schumer and Pelosi. So, okay. I feel like we come back to this theme a lot, 99, where people are coming at us a, a couple of different ways whenever we suggest that we need to occupy the ventilated corpse of the Democratic National Committee. Progressives in particular are so burned by how they treated Bernie that they just feel like they want to throw the organization out and, and with that, the entire Democratic establishment. So our supposition here has been, Kevin, that occupying it means overthrowing it, but from the inside, because it's not the DNC and the people that make it up currently that are of interest to me, but it's the mechanisms right down to the precinct level, the mechanisms of how they run our democracy from the democratic side that I'm more interested in, simply because I don't believe that we have the time, the bandwidth, the resources, the funding, the boots on the ground to start an effective third party. We've had the Green Party in the past, the actual progressive party itself, that the Working Families Party, getting these onto ballots and getting the candidates and then getting the organizations that can get everybody right down to, you know, licking envelopes and putting stamps on to do to walking in districts to getting out the vote to organizing fundraising campaigns to then advertise to have a social campaign you think about the vast network that is required to do this in 50 states it is tremendous so again if you're in a very very blue state if you're in a let's say a vermont and I don't want to say I don't want to paint vermont with 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 one brush or if you're maybe say in a massachusetts or you're in a historically and reliably blue state where the progressive party can run where let's say the independents or progressives or the green party or whichever party has the momentum on the ballot and is and appears on the ballots can run an effective campaign and bring out the numbers that's great but more often than not what you see is that you'll start a great third party initiative and it'll only steal thunder from the Democratic position. And then you wind up with a Republican. Because when it comes time, once they get past their primaries, remember that the Republican Party, the Independence Party, like it is in New York, will align behind Republicans. Then you've got the conservative line, and they'll obviously align behind the Republican candidate. And now you're now you're really up against it. So it's the infrastructure that I'm interested in. It's that infrastructure and having seen it up close and what that looks like, it does take a tremendous amount of time, but it takes a lot less time to occupy and overthrow from within than to actually start a third party initiative, because where the fuck is the money going to come from? I mean, that's the that's the hell of this whole thing is that we have allowed money to be the number one influence on all of the elections, on the elections just as a whole. And so if you're going to cure that piece, you have to get inside and cure it from the inside because it's never going to happen from the outside. 
we got to throw these motherfuckers out. We got to get rid of the Schumers and the Pelosi's. We have to promote all the people we've talked about before, the Katie Porters, the Rokanas, the Jamie Raskins. Those are the people that need to move up the ranks of the party. And we can only do that once we show them that we can win primaries and that from those primaries, we can go on to win elections. Because here's where they're not stupid. They want to win and they want to stay in power. And those milk toast, mealy mouth, middle of the road Democrats will align with wherever they think the power base of the party will ultimately lie. They've been mistaken that they think that it lies in the center. But it's it, are they really mistaken? Because every once in a while they wind up back in power. So they're not really mistaken. It's just that they don't care whether the electorate is holding its nose every time it goes to the polls. They just don't care because they know that their side's going to win every so often. And that's just enough for them to keep the jobs, keep the control, keep the money flowing. And when they're not in power, it's even more effective for their fundraising efforts. So it's about taking it over from the inside and then leveraging their existing infrastructure simply because we're out of time. And the big overarching theme of all of this is climate change. We cannot make any impact on climate unless we can completely occupy the political process in this country. And that's so again, I'm, everything that you said, Kevin, that they're no help to the left or what's left of the left. They roll over, give the right wing anything they want. They gave the unqualified judges that they, they installed them. They gave tax cuts to the rich. They did it all. I completely agree with that. It's the people that need to be taken out. But the system needs to stay in place because it's the system that we have. So what did Doug K say in 99? I was going to say there was a uh, Bill Nye article that was circulating recently. Bill Nye, the science guy, sure. not Bill Nye, the actor, <laughs> which we had that who's on first discussion the other day. <laughs> but he said voting is more important than recycling in fighting climate crisis. So there you go. Bill Nye saying it. You got to do it's it. It's got to be true. law. Yeah. So. Doug K, very much still love your podcast. The three of you play off each other so well, and you seem to do your individual jobs so well, that I only wonder how in the world you could keep this going at this level over the long term. So, Max, <laughs> how are you keeping this going? You know, it's funny. When we first started, we got through a number of episodes that we really poured a lot into. But 99 wasn't on mic yet. We gave Manny a little bit of we gave him a lot more direction and a lot less room to breathe. And it was very, I mean, if you go back and you check out those early shows, you'll see they were 25, 30 minutes. They were, they were really truly just essays. And I remember thinking at the time, fuck, this is a lot of work. But then we got into a rhythm and then 99 came on the show and added a whole new dimension to it. And then we allowed ourselves to just sort of flex and not be constrained by some sort of artificial time constraint. Because I was in very deliberately trying to keep it in that commuting podcast range, that 25 to 30 minute range in the beginning. And then we allowed Manny to really take some liberties and license to turn it into like, instead of it having, having it be like a song, just having every episode be like a full album, just this whole experience and let him have his way with it. And I feel like that really gave me the freedom to just sort of overwrite. And also it unlocked every show unlocked another door. There would be notes at the end of every episode where it's like, shit, I really should follow up on that. 
And it's one of the things that I think keeps people so engaged in learning about history is that you open one door and it opens 10 more. I was frustrated in college because I found all of these incredible subjects after I sobered up a little bit in in the later years of college. And I wanted to dig into each one of them. And every time I got really deep into one of them, I realized, holy shit, I don't know anything about this. And I went up all the way back at reading Greek mythology and the classics and some philosophy. And I was just like, whoa, I really need to like pick the lane that most interests me and figure this shit out. And it's why I don't do a great job on foreign policy. It's why I don't do a great job in unpacking, you know, Greek history. And I don't have the literary references that that some some others, you know, might bring to the table for better, for worse. Like if you listen to a Ben Shapiro, like Ben Shapiro's thing is he is able to bring Judaism into the equation because that's the the moral influence that he comes from. And he's got that part down pat. And so everything's always going to come in some sort of you know reference there, Chris Hedges brings in the classics and will also bring in a Christianity, and he brings that to the table. I decided that it was just going to be the 20th century for me. That's where most of my interest really, really lies. And even unpacking that, there's so much more to learn. And that's what I'm super excited about is that every suggestion that we get opens another door. Every conversation that we have with an unfucker opens another door. Then we have our international unfuckers that come to us and suggest things and say, I know you think that this is unique to America, but you should check this out because this is what laid the groundwork. And it's just, it's learning together in the way that we're doing this, to me, is the most inspiring thing that I've ever gone through. So I can't ever see an end to this. I just don't, I just don't see it being possible. A, because what we said in the front of the show, which is the world just keeps delivering flaming bags of poop on our doorstep and we just have to fucking look at it and tackle it. And the other part is there's so much more to know. I've learned so much in the past two years. I mean, so much. Like I gave my all to those first, let's say 10, 15 episodes. And I was like, well, fuck, I'm tapped out. But because we just kept pushing and people kept communicating with us and you kept asking us for stuff. I mean, I have entire episodes that were basically constructed from resources from unfuckers. That's the magic of doing this show. And so, Doug and everybody else out there, if you're down with it, I'm down with it for the long haul. 99, are you in? Nah. Okay, so might have to find a new co-host and somebody to manage literally every part of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Are you waiting to clarify that I am in or? Yep, kind of. Uh, yeah, and I'll think about it. I got, okay. a lot, I got a lot of places to be. I got a lot of people to meet, hands to shake, babies to kiss, COVID You're aside. Right. You're right. I gotta, I gotta spread my 99 seed. Not in a sexual way. Hmm. <laughs> I, there was no coming back from it. No, that's just out there now. Yeah. Although whatever. I did, uh, I did slack you over the weekend and, um, <laughs> my daughter was talking about someday moving to the West Coast. And she had this whole little dream scenario she was talking about living in California, being on the beach and all that kind of stuff. And she's like, obviously, you'll have to come with me because I'm very close to my kids. So she's like, you know, the whole family's going to have to go out there. And then she paused and she looked at me and she's like, don't worry, 99 can come too. <laughs> so anyway, I slacked 99 and said, uh, hey, we're all moving out west. You're with the family now. I'm, I'm game. I'm game. All right. You guys are all going to be vegans, though. Sorry. That's fine with me. Okay. That's fine with me. As long as you're doing the shopping. That's fine. 
as long as you're doing the pain. <laughs> I'll do the pain. I'll always do the pain. Happy to. Manny, are you in? Are you in for the long haul here, brother? 100% down for the long haul. 100% not down for moving to the West Coast. Visiting often, sure. And 100% not going to become a vegan. Eat better, yes. Full-on veganism, not going to happen. Well, since he does this after the fact, I'm just going to hope that we got our we got a good thumbs up yeah, there from like, him. Uh, yeah, no. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's been a famous Manny answer, by the way, over the years. Is you ask him anything technical? Because Manny has done more for this organization than we can even allude to. And uh, one of the classic answers he would give us as he was teaching us uh, all things about the Internet was we'd ask him a stupid question and he'd be like, well, yes, no. It, technically, yes, because what he was doing was the math in his mind of like, I know this can be fucking done, but it's going to be my problem. So let me just throw a no out there really quickly to then come back to the, mm -hmm, yeah, I think it can be done, but just fucking know how hard this is. And it continues to this day because we'll throw him something stupid from the show and be like, hey, can you just sort of like do this, this and this and make it sound like, oh, I don't know. We're in a dungeon on our way to talk to Hannibal Lecter with clinking gates and then uh, and, and guards all around and chatter that's in one ear and something else happening in the other ear. And he'd be like, yeah, I mean, no, but like, mm -hmm, I'll fucking do it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. Anyway. All right. Christian C. Ooh, is a new member and a longtime listener from the David Pakman show. Thank you for coming aboard. Christian wants to give us a little bit of religion here. Barbecue and or hot sauce are a hell yes. Frank's buffalo sauce, which 99 alluded to, is the closest I've found to the original wing recipe, the way I learned it in Buffalo. Big thank you for unfucking the petroleum industry. I learned a couple of great new talking points. Well, I'm so glad that we were able to help. And uh, thank you for weighing in with another barbecue suggestion. As I told you, that is ultimately my, my true go-to, even though ketchup still greater than mustard. Did you see the photo I sent you from Bobby McD? Yes. Ew. Bobby McD sent a picture <laughs> over Instagram and asked me to share it with Max. It was a tube. And it, that makes it so much worse that <laughs> it's in a fucking tube, like toothpaste. Like toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> it was ketchup. It was mustard and ketchup in a tube together. It's like, what? Do you think it's orange? Or is it like that uh, PB and jelly jar, you know, that like has the swirls on the side? Yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's not right. Whatever you want to know something right. something about me that's going to be divisive? This should have been my fun fact on that episode where I only talked about lima beans. Tell me. I don't like peanut butter and jelly. I actually am pretty sure I've never had one, but I know I don't like it, if that makes sense. No, I don't doesn't. judge others. This isn't a ketchup thing. Jelly doesn't make me ill like ketchup does, looking at it. I just don't... I wish I liked jelly because it looks fun, like the, the nice organic jellies. I didn't even like anything like with jelly in it for a long time. Like now I can like have something that has like a little bit of a filling, but otherwise I just don't like, and I love fruit. I love all, the only fruit I don't like is pears because they're stupid, but yeah, I don't like peanut butter and jelly. I don't really even like peanut butter that much. I like peanut butter on celery with apples in a Reese's or like ice cream, like a swirl of peanut butter. But otherwise I don't really eat peanut butter. I don't like it that much. <laughs> is this worse than not liking ketchup? There's so much there. I told you it was going to be divisive. I mean, I lived on peanut butter and jelly for probably 40 of my almost 50 years. Just 
almost exclusively. The problem is probably that I never don't, gets old. I don't like white bread, like white bread, you know, like that, that kids eat or like Wonder Bread, like that type of shit. It make I don't like it. I don't, I don't like potato bread. I don't like the way it smells. I like challah, obviously. I was gonna say you don't like challah. No, I love challah bread. It's my favorite. But it doesn't taste as good. Vegan challah, at least the one I've made, it doesn't. It might taste more like Italian bread without the egg wash. But I've tried. Um, but you yeah. know, what? I'm just gonna let the unfuckers let loose on you because I, I, I'm, I'm not even know ju- what to this say. This one, I'm, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody. They can't. But you said you don't even eat them, and and I don't, and I know I don't I'm, like them. Okay. That's so. That's such. I a have cop no out. conscious memory of eating a peanut butter and jelly. I'm assuming I did as a child at some point. My mom, because my sister liked them or still likes them. I'm assuming my mom was like, "You get one too," and I was like, Bleh, "Like little ninety nine said lima beans and uh, no no PB and J." So I have no conscious memory. I'm sure it happened. My favorite sandwich. Period. Is peanut butter and banana. Oh, because you love Elvis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, are you going to die on the toilet also? I remember, I can remember, no, I can remember distinctly Manny telling me how problematic Elvis was. And I was so incredulous when I was like, what? What are you even saying? He's like, I'm just telling you, just dial your Elvis shit back. Because I really, like, I, I bought an Elvis bust, which still adorns oh, our I office know. to this day. It's very close to my desk. Down in the village in 1991. I No, 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 no. It was, it was 94. And I carried it, although I carried it 25 blocks back to my apartment. Because I was so proud and I was so happy with it. And it sat as the centerpiece of my apartment. And then in my home, and then I got married. And like the wagon wheel coffee table in Harry Met Sally, it was relocated mm. immediately to the office. I'm glad that Mrs. Max did that. <laughs> Mrs. Max has much better taste than Max. I once told our friend that, <laughs> and he reacted strangely to this, and now I'm thinking this is why. I told him that I think... Young kids who are obsessed with Elvis are weird. Like, there's something off about, like, a little kid who loves Elvis and, like, wants to be Elvis. Like, nowadays. And I guess you were more closer to the the, the, the decades of Elvis. You know, you weren't at, years after, but still within, within touching range. I was talking more about, like, a kid my age who, like, mm. was weirdly obsessed with, like, the 50s. And, like, like there's just something weird about that. And now I'm being judgmental. but <laughs> And he was like, hmm, okay. And then I was like, wow, did I just offend him? Does he love Elvis? No, Who's he was, this friend? He works for our company, and he's been with you for 20 years. Oh. Yeah. Okay. We were at a bar once, and we were talking about music, and somehow we got on that on the Elvis train, and I was like, "Man, kids who love Elvis are just fucking weird." Like, you know, like a kid now, like a little weird, you know, an Elvis haircut. Like, I don't want to see that shit. That's weird. There's just something off. His sun sessions, to me, are still perfect. I don't care what anybody says. I only Amazing. support Conrad Birdie from Bye Bye Birdie, the fake Elvis. Mm-hmm. You know the, the the telephone song in Bye Bye Birdie? Nope. The one that's like, hi, Nancy. Hi, Alice. What's the story? Morning Glory. What's the word? Hummingbird. Did you hear about Hugo and Kim? You know that one where they're on the phone? No. Sing a little more of it. <laughs> no. Oh. Did they really get pinned? <laughs> that one? 
You don't, are you just telling me you don't know it? I just like to, I like to give you a lot of space. And also, I don't know it. Really? Have you ever seen Bye Bye Birdie? Yes. Oh. Well, it's, I think it, besides Bye Bye Birdie and the Ed Sullivan song, I think it's probably the most famous. I think if you saw it, you'd remember it. Well, it's all, all people on the phone. And I think that if we do, if we ever have another phone a friend theme, it needs to be in the style of telephone hour of from Bye Bye okay. Birdie. I'll look it up. Yeah, it's fun. I think I meant to tell you this once off mic, but here we are. So someone your age who's obsessed with Elvis is kind of weird, but this is okay? So Atlas W (laughs) said, you both are wrong. It's about the ranch. It goes well on everything, including eggs. I mean, I don't, I don't, my roommate, my roommate feels about ranch the way I feel about ketchup. So I understand. I know people don't like like white condiments. That's a thing. I think ranch is good if you like mix it with hot sauce. I can't say it. I like tzatziki mm-hmm. sauce. Yeah. And ranch is only for, for carrots, baby carrots at a buffet. Okay. Other than that, it's, it's, I'm sorry, Atlas. It's not meant for, it's not meant for consumption. You know what it goes good that. on? goes well what? on? Pizza. What? Yeah. Mix it Get with hot of New sauce. York. Mix it with hot sauce. You, you go to Jersey and go away. Do they do that in Jersey? I don't know, but they probably do. But well, make- you have officially been your license as a New Yorker is revoked. Well, they make Hidden Valley. Makes Once you go to Massachusetts and now. hang out with the barstool sports guys, okay? I don't know why you're. I. That's just. It feels. I, why would you say it's on pizza? Because you, you, do you mix your ranch with pineapple and put it on pizza too? That's not even a comparable debate. There are plenty of pizzas, specialty pizzas that have ranch on them. Yeah, I just fucking pwned you. You did not. Bring in the word pwn back. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what Bookstore Kim said. Let's move on. Bookstore Kim said, I'm not going to like this. <laughs> First, all ketchup fuckers are under five years old, and that's why they aren't weighing in. <laughs> I'm not sure what this says about you, Max. Bookstore Kim has spoken, and I feel like that is the ultimate. Like, you're you're done. Dunzo. It's it's worth 10. I'll give you that. Yeah. Like, but I'm, I still think I'm ahead by more than 10, but I, I give Bookstore Kim the, the weight of 10 on fuckers. Yes. So Cynthia G, this was a last minute edition, said, sorry, 99. I normally side with you, but this time I have to side with Max. UNFTR is all about facts. So let's dig in. And Cynthia shared an article and said, we know people vote with their wallet. You can claim people like this or that, but at the end of the day, it's what they buy for the home that counts. The winner is mayonnaise for the U.S. Second is ketchup. Three billion people voted for ketchup. So technically we both lose, but Max is right. More people use ketchup in the U.S. As for odd condiments, I love curry ketchup. I discovered it when visiting family in Germany. Two parts ketchup, one part yellow mustard. Add your favorite curry powder. Great on just about anything. I love these tit for tats at the end of the show. It helps bring a bit of brevity to what can sometimes be rather bleak. So I thought that was nice. Uh, I'm I'm shocked. That mayonnaise was the clear. I'm not. Well, here. we have we're we have our New York bias here because think about like the Midwest. I bet it's all about mayo there. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And it's also the like base. if I got a blood donor, I'd have to insist that it's not somebody from the Midwest. <laughs> you right? think they screen the blood first? They siphon all the mayo out of it. You just have a feeling like the Midwest on fuckers are just like two two thirds mayo and one third water, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't see it. I I just. I can't believe it. I think, honestly, I think because it's pretty, it's neutral enough that th- th- it's probably used for other things. And in I mean, conjunction I like with don't other get me things. wrong. 
don't get me wrong. You probably can't eat it, right? It's got some shit in it that it you won't eggs, have. It has eggs, but they make vegan mayo. Oh, sure. That's delicious. It tastes the same, I think. I don't. Mm-hmm. I never really liked mayo before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're so rude. <laughs> Fuck you. Although every once in a while, I do like, uh, and I think I called it California style, uh, mixing some ketchup and some mayo on on a burger. As long as there's tomato, onion, and maybe a dab of barbecue sauce too. I just, I'll stick anything on a, on a burger. I know, I'm sorry, I'm pissing you off, but it's... Uh, I was just, it, like, the, like, why add, like, fine, barbecue sauce, okay, mayo, okay, ketchup, okay. You're putting them all together? Yeah. No. I'll yeah. do mustard and It's a condiment sauce. orgy. Gross. Okay. All right, let's go over to social media and see if anybody has anything... Uh, Constructive here. So Judy, in my favor. <laughs> no, I think we. I usually put the the mayo uh, the mayo gate. Now we're calling it mayo gate. Well, I used to put it at the end, but it, it worked his way. I didn't expect there to be so many still, so I was like, oh, I'll throw one in there, and then then they just compounded. But I think that's it. I'm just waiting for my PB and J fuckers to to let loose on you. I'm not week. saying it's bad. Everyone can eat whatever they want. It's my this one's my personal preference. Okay. I think ketchup fuckers are stupid and dumb. I've said that. I'm on the record. I stick to oh, it. Wow, wow. But except for it's okay. You're so you're so hurtful. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Everyone's smart. We love you. So Judy H sent a charity navigator link and said, first hit I look at says PragerU's an excellent charity. So is Charity Navigator just like the Better Business Bureau? Can you just buy off Charity Navigator? Yeah, there's a few like GuideStar, I think Charity Navigator. There's a couple that that rank charities, but what they're really doing is ranking them by, it's, it's, actually, it's actually a shitty system to be honest, because it, it ranks them by efficiency standards and filings and it's basically just saying is is it legit do they file on time and do they have a low threshold for overhead meaning how what percentage of the money that they go that they take in goes towards program and what goes towards overhead and that's typically how they they rate these things and for people that know the nonprofit space really well they know that this is this is kind of a lark and this is kind of a red herring because you can have an outstanding charity that has that is very heavy in terms of administrative costs and it's been this and god we went over this 99 early on we had a conversation it was a ted talk that was given about the nonprofit space that really kind of upended everybody's stance towards paying people shit in the nonprofit and charity space. Basically, the, the person that was making the argument was like, our concepts of funding for nonprofits is completely upside down. We should be paying people a good amount of money for their expertise and for their loyalty and for their tenure and be recruiting the best and the brightest because most nonprofits are social services and it does them a disservice to underpay and to underfund them and to have really stressed out, underpaid people that are always looking to better deal and move out. And that's why the turnover is so high and et cetera, et cetera. Why would we cast nonprofit administrators in that light and not have the best and the brightest and pay them more? And it's just part of like the, the sickness and disease that a person can't be a product, like helping a person in this country can't be a product with an outcome that that we can measure in terms of profit. Ergo, 
those people in society that that decide to dedicate their lives to it should be paid less because it's not a a measure of profit and ergo use in our society. And it really actually had a, a demonstrable impact on the way that people look toward funding. But it's still this it's still kind of stuck out there in people's minds that, oh, if this if this organization has 70 percent overhead and only 30 goes to program. Well, what is what is program for a lot of these? You know, program is is people administering support and help in so many different cases. But they'll look at it and be like, well, well, I want to know if I'm going to fund it, that it, I'm going to earmark my dollars strictly for program. And it has to buy the food that goes out into the public and not the people that are actually going to serve it and prepare it and and make sure the food is safe and and all that kind of stuff or the warehouse or what have you. So anyway, it's it's a silly measure. We don't look at Charity Navigator, for example, when we're when we're looking at uh, the efficacy of the work. We'll look at we'll look at the reviews. We'll look at uh, impact statements. So I think a lot of organizations have moved toward impact statements where they can actually bring in the more human elements of what nonprofits do to as a, as a real measure to say, listen, we're we're almost all people about 100% goes towards paying our people but to administer these services and here's how it results. So that's a better way in my opinion to, to take a look at it. Always look for the impact statements that these charities have. But if a charity has not filed 990s recently, that might be a red flag as well. So there's always different circumstances. And now over to Twitter. Will Watkins the fourth hold. I am William Wallace. Said, so I think the issue with elected Democrats since the Carter administration has been less about compromise and more about the place the polls started from in the first place. The neoliberal story had so captured the American psyche that any other story, mainly the Keynesian theory, was completely drowned out. There has been no effective American left for 40 years until literally right now. Compromise is an action and technique to solve problems and come to consensus, but the real issue is the neoliberal starting point that Dems started from, and it's almost not even their fault. I wholly align behind this sentiment, Will. I think this is such a great observation. And it's a very long Twitter thread, but in it, he talks about how the Overton window has just consistently and solidly moved center-right. And that's the new perspective that a lot of young politicians come in with. And that's why I think it's a really good and fair and accurate statement to say that we actually haven't had a true left in this country for 40 years. And that's also why this new progressive left in the country is so jarring for many people who have classically considered themselves left. So the the new Democrats, the liberals, that that liberal center, the David Brooks, Thomas Friedman, New York Times sort of core that holds themselves up as the so-called liberal establishment. Those people are so afraid of the progressive left and spend more time, in my opinion, throwing bombs at the true left than the right even does because they're so afraid of some of these concepts. But we've heard it over and over from our international unfuckers that the Bernie Sanders, the AOCs, and all of the people that, that we love and talk about on this show would be considered center left in, in other countries. They would truly be considered the center. And here they're considered radical leftists. But that is truly how far we've moved. And I think Will Watkins makes a wonderful point 
in saying it's not necessarily their fault. If they're coming into it today and you're a new politician, you've really been you've been beaten over the head for 40 fucking years that that starting point, that left starting point is really, truly the left when it really is the middle. So wild eyed Bob, I'm going to say it. He's drinking coffee. Good timing. Knudsen. Thank you. Max, we wouldn't need a supermajority to place four more SCOTUS justices. That filibuster carve-out already exists. As far as the two Republicans in the Democratic Party Senate delegation, yep, they ain't gonna help. I figure the push for 13 begins after November. That's in reference to, I think, Knudsen's comment from last week. Yes, and uh, Knudsen is, of course, right, and I stand corrected on that. So that carve-out does exist, so they could actually just do this. And he's right that what would hold us back would be the mansions, the cinemas, the Menendez core. So that would be very difficult to do, but it is in the purview of the Senate. So we would have to wait until November. The general polling does look like we've picked up some favorable momentum to be able to have that that majority in the Senate. But again, it's impossible to tell whether that will hold in the face of the economic circumstances that we're, we're going to head into over the next few months. Now, the idea of 13 justices. This is something it's I was very much on the fence about it because I do like playing by the rules and I like putting the rules back to where they're not taken advantage of because where does it end? But I got to say this is war. They've declared war on everybody in this country. And so I'm 100% in favor of 13 justices. Fuck it. 100%. It's just they don't play by the rules. They move the goalpost every time. Then they cry foul when, you know, the, the left tries to do anything to move this country forward. And no matter what, you know, what are they going to do? Try to overthrow the fucking capital? You know, it's like they've already shown what they're capable of in the mildest of circumstances when we tried to have a peaceful transition of power. So fuck them. Go for 13 justices. Try to win and codify things into law. Go for constitutional amendments. Just fucking go for broke at this point. Do anything and everything that we can possibly do to bring more progressives to bear in the legislature. And then to just fucking get the top of the ticket to really be an authentic progressive and not just a compromise candidate. Now, W. Jeremy D. said, Max, toward your compromise is the problem theory. Aren't you really saying that voters are scared? I know I am. This is a perfect bookend to that sentiment. Yeah, I'm scared too. I'm scared, but I'm also looking at it like every single time we compromise, we lose. We've been going backwards for 50 years. And we get small victories along the way. For example, same-sex marriage. But they're coming for it. Are we just going to let that happen too? So we can try to fight for that all over again? I mean, the things that we fought for took generations to get there. And then we got comfortable. So, yeah, compromise is the problem because we're scared. You know, I'm reminded of of the Eric Cantor speech 
here's a known story from, uh, and actually it was told in detail in Michael Grunwald's The New New Deal. After the 2008 election, when Obama was elected and just trounced the Republicans, the Republican Party was considered over. It was such a convincing win. And they came in with such unbelievable hope and optimism and momentum that the that Congress was dejected. I mean, roundly dejected. And the Republicans got together at that time. And this was this was Paul Ryan, Eric Cantor, and Kevin McCarthy. They were considered the young guns on the right. And Eric Cantor called the meeting of the Republican caucus, dismissed all of the political people, and brought in pollsters and said to the Republican caucus, it's time to get out of the fetal position and go to war. If they say blue, we say red. If they say black, we say white. We are going to vote against everything that they bring to the table and we're going to paint it as complete cataclysm. And they brought the pollsters into the meeting and they said, "How do, how, what would we have to do to really push the envelope to change the minds in this country. And they pulled a thousand different ideas. They took the most popular ones. They coordinated with Fox News and they went after it from the minute Obama took office and they were relentless and they've been relentless ever since. And Eric Cantor said, this is no longer about governing. This is about winning. And I'll never forget that phrase, get out of the fetal position. And that's where we are now on the left. We're in the fetal position because we are scared. And it's time that we get out of the fetal position. And it's time that we really start to strike back and not be afraid of the electoral consequences. Because we know we have winning ideas. If we had the pollsters in the room with us and we had actual leadership that wasn't fearful of losing their campaign donations, we too would have the answers of what needs to be done. But we don't have a Fox News on our side. We don't have billionaires on our side, literally. So it's got to be ground up and it's got to be from the people. But we know the answers. The polling data is even stronger in our favor. And we don't have to parse and pick apart any of that data. It's all right there for us to see. Stricter gun laws, abortion access for all, universal health care. We've gone through this student debt forgiveness and then refinancing. All of these things are extremely popular and they would help individuals and families across the board, even the ones that think and have been programmed to believe that these things wouldn't help and would only help the so-called welfare state. These people would be lifted up as well if we could just not be so fearful. And Gott Shirley said, oh, please have a podcast on this. I'm sure it's going to be a two-parter campaign finance laws. I wanted to read those back to back because Gott Shirley is getting into one of the first things that has to be fixed as we get down the road. If we had any momentum on the progressive side, it would have to be to fix campaign finance laws. So the article that she's referencing 
is on GOP representative Duncan Hunter and how he allegedly stole a lar large amount of money to pay for personal expenses through his campaign financing. This is just one of countless stories of how funds are misappropriated. Look at the Lauren Boebert story of how she didn't count money that came from Ted Cruz until Ted Cruz filed it and then she suddenly had to cop to it. Like, this shit happens all the fucking time. But more than that, it's how they can acquire the money and the access that they've been given to the dark money pools through the super PACs and the billionaires that are out there to fund their bullshit, hyper-libertarian, near-anarchist visions of a billionaire-run country. Once again, go listen to Libertarians Are Exhausting Part 1 and Part 2 to uncover the actual money behind these initiatives and how they roll out into actual public policy that affects your life on a daily basis. So thank you, W. Jeremy D. Thank you, Got Shirley, for that back-to-back. -back. Couldn't agree more. And with that, let's get into coffee donations. It was a really robust week for us. We really appreciate all of the support that we got from Unfuckers. In our own way, we are trying to build momentum. It comes through these donations. It comes through these memberships. Every dollar spent to support us through either our Native Coffee Roaster partnership on Puspatuck Reservation or the donations that you give us through our memberships, everything goes to support us teaching people a new and better way to to carry the progressive momentum forward. So thank you, everybody who supported us. Don't forget our soon-to-be-unveiled merch page. Do you want to do that now? I said soon-to-be-unveiled. You'd like to, you if it was you, you'd be like, and by next Sunday, they'll be live. And I'm like, no, I'm going to keep it vague. <laughs> but we hear you. We see you. I've been working on it in the background, but we are close. We're close. I've seen them. Yeah. I've seen them on test pages, yeah. hidden pages yes. on the internets. Technically, well, never mind. <laughs> um, and they're beautiful. Yes. Yeah, so far, I we have four hats and four shirts. Four different style hats. One's a bucket hat. So I'm going to buy it for Super sure. Super cute. Yeah. Embroidered hats. Really nice. And some shirts right now, similar to our original shirt run, but a lot of people didn't get those. Let us know. I mean, we've had we've had callouts for mugs, for travel mugs. Uh, we recently had a call out for a patch, which I'm looking into. It would be cool. Definitely when winter comes, we'll have winter and fall sweaters and beanies and all that good stuff. But if, there, if there's anything else you would consider rocking with the UNFTR logo or any of our monikers, let me know. I'd like a hoodie. Right now, it's hot. No, not now. I'm oh, saying come well, winter. I said that already. Yeah. Sheesh. I'm, no, I'm just telling you what my preference is. We'll do is a hoodie. Winter. We'll do a... I, I'm a crew neck gal, so I'll, I'll get a crew neck for okay. me. My my sister loves zip-ups, even though they're the stupidest form of sweatshirts, but make a fucking zip-up just for her. Wow. <laughs> I, hate, I hate zip-ups. What's the point of them? The design gets bastardized by the zipper. Or then you're just wearing a plain thing and it's got on the back. They're never flattering because the zipper does that stupid thing that like... The bump? Yeah. It, you can't get rid of it. So you're I right. just... They're they're the worst. Crewnecks are so cute because you can dress them up. You can dress them down. You can put a collared shirt under it. You know, hoodies, like... Hoodies are cool. They're comfy. It makes me feel like I'm snuggled. But a crew neck, fashion. 
I feel like you've just hit on the next thing that Untuck It needs to invent. Because now I buy Untuck It clothes because I can, it, it covers my dad bod. Mm-hmm. But that, un, like an Untuck It zip up is like the next thing. Just, you know, and maybe just a little weight at the bottom just to keep that little... But sometimes nub, it's the whole right? way. Maybe maybe it's more on women because we have, you know, different bodies. Maybe it because we get it all the way. I know we get it all the way up. I feel so, like that's not inclusive. I agree. What that women have different bodies or that zip ups yeah. don't fit us better. All of the above. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's only one of them I can change. <laughs> anyway, in terms of coffee donations, we have some new members like Lee. Lee is now a member. In a world that's fucking falling apart, I can breathe twice a week. At the least, this pod brings me hope. Thank you, Lee. You bring us hope for supporting us financially. Thank you for that. And SkillyJ808 is also now a member. Hey, guys, I'm an unfucking purist. This is the first podcast I've gotten into. Not much of a techie. Don't do any of the social media. Email is the limit of my technological advancement. SkillyJ808, I feel like you and I would get along just fine. Mm -hmm. I've dabbled in some pitchfork, bottle, which is best of the left, and Pac-Man, but the subject matter and the way you deliver it is awesome. I've listened to every show up until now, still look forward to hearing what's next. I do dig into the Substack essays, too. Nice to be able to dig back and really soak in some of the info. I'll keep spreading the word. Aloha! Thank you, SkillyJ, and welcome. Tim H. is now a member. I would love to hear the trio's opinions on the part that repealing the Glass-Steagall Act played in the banking crisis of 0708. Hopefully as part of a big unfucking of Bubba's presidency. Hopefully with skits. I mean, I have goosebumps. I have chills right now. Why is that? That's my jam. <laughs> Glass-Steagall is my fucking jam. And I feel like we can unfuck Bubba. All good. Thank you, Tim H. Caleb C. is now a member. Max and 99 are awesome and would probably be pretty fucking cool to hang out with. You think so? I don't know. You way more than me. I like hanging out with you, though. I like hanging out with you, too, but it's because you're in the equation. Like, I feel like like people would hang out with me and be like, wow, so you just, you really do. You just sit there and read, huh? That's, well, that's I mean, horrible. I think that would be kind of rude if you did that. <laughs> but it's what I do. Not when you're I'm no longer social. hangoutable. I would tell you, Max from the past, a lot of fun to hang out with. You're very you social. Ma old Max. People call Max's eh. phone. I hear his phone ring all the time. I told him this. He was like, no one calls me. And I was like, your phone is always ringing. And it's either. It's my children. No, I know when it's your children because I know your children voice. But sometimes mm -hmm. people just call like out of the blue, out of the blue. Someone Max hasn't talked to him in 10 years calls him. And it's like best friend. He's got so yeah, many well, friends. He knows everybody. Yeah, Don't let so him fool you. Yeah, it's so true. Friends. I don't know. You're a lot more fun to hang out with. You know all the things about beer. You're into music. You're young. You're vibrant. You're funny. You're sarcastic. You're like all those things. And I'm just a curmudgeon, stupid old white guy talking into a microphone and reading books all day. Blech. Hendo is now a member. Thank you for your service. Thank you for calling it service. That's a high, that's a high compliment. Scorched Earth Hippie is now a member. Thanks, y'all. You took out a membership? <laughs> I know. Sorry. Brendan C. is now a member. Brendan C. didn't have shit to say. Just fucking gave us the money. It was like, boom! Bruce W.S. is now a member. Great podcast with informed insights backed by thorough research presented in a refreshing, frank, and accessible manner. Let's unfuck the Republic. Nathan Surst bought us two coffees. Any idea why? No message. 
No message. He just just sending us the love. Yeah. Gotta love Nathan Surst. And second. And Surd. And no and Surd, yeah. All the Nathans. Nathan E. Nathan H. Craig H. bought us two coffees, too, by the way. The $5 gas episode was fantastic. Really simplified the topic, gave me a great talking points to help me explain this to the uninformed around me. And there's a fuckload of uninformed people around me. Sigh. Maria Castro Calzada bought five coffees. Oh, I was wrong. Three votes for ketchup and two for mayo and five are against nest mustard. <laughs> Dip steak fries in ketchup and mayo and it's the best thing on the planet. Best thing. This dumb debate made me forget my rights were stripped from me for a few minutes. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what a Timeza. Okay. Bought three coffees. One for each of you lovely people. Thank you for continuing to provide perspectives that can lead to actions for change. I share UNFTR with coworkers, family members, and friends, and they are all learning. Thank you. What a Timeza. Dana bought three coffees. Hey, y'all, I'm already a member, but I'm sending these coffees, especially to Manny. Every time you put in a clip of Bing Bong, Bing Bong, I burst out laughing. <laughs> Had to change my shirt one time due to seltzer interference, but that's okay. <laughs> Keep up the awesomeness. I love it. Bing bong. I had to do, I can't remember. I think me and my roommate were watching TV or something. And she said something that I did a genuine spit take. Like I just couldn't, it was the the worst time. I I just, it was beer everywhere, but it was so great. I know it's like, you know, you can't fake a spit. I mean, you can fake a spit take, but a genuine spit take priceless. And then, whoa. Okay. This is out of control. Skier femme. Bought 60 coffees. Can I be a pro-level member for a year? Yes. Done. <laughs> yeah. You paid the price, literally. And you were Good a pro-level member. Skier Femme, thank you so much for that. That is tremendous. And thank you to everybody that became a member, that supported us. We had a lot of coffee purchases, like real coffee purchases, uh, the past couple weeks as well. So everybody's stocking up for summer. We appreciate you. We see you. That's it. We got a couple good episodes coming up. Don't forget that we are on vacation the first two weeks of August. We got some fun stuff, though, planned. Well, it's actually not fun, but we have some stuff planned to drop in the feed to keep you all entertained. Uh, I love it when 99 cocks are out and she's like, the fuck is that? Well, because I have my is, own ideas. Oh, you do, do you? So you can't make decisions without me. Oh, this is fun. Okay. So we've got some maybe hidden competing drops coming into the feed. We'll see. Who knows? Stickers are in the mail, everybody, for everybody who wrote in. Woo-hoo! So you'll be getting those soon. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Manny, on the other side of the glass, we love you. We thank you as well. And unfuckers, we will catch you on the weekend. 99, have a good one. You too. Bye.